Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is our old friend, Alan Mosley. Alan is a historian, jazz musician, author, aspiring grifter, and host of It's Too Late, the number one show in late night of all podcasts in the Liberty Movement filmed in Tennessee that are hosted by Alan. Alan, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Tom. This is the end of the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, though. If you've had more than one appearance by Alan Mosley, you must be out of guests. <laughs> Not at all. In fact, I had no reason to even call you up. I just said, i got to get Alan back here, and it just happens to be Memorial Day. So usually this is when I've made a lot of room on my friends list with some kind of unpatriotic host, but to Ooh. be honest with you... I spent the whole weekend getting my outdoor garden ready. So you'll have to fill me in. How was the fascist rally this past weekend? Or didn't we have one because COVID canceled that too? The, the, the crazy thing is, is that I know like people are conditioned at this point to just expect that at Memorial Day. But I didn't do a whole lot for Memorial Day either. I just worked on stuff on Memorial Day. I was in my office for most of the time. And then we did a, we did a little community stream Monday night to kind of hype up the event this weekend and all that. So I, I didn't really see a lot, but just in general, I didn't kind of see as much rigmarole, maybe, as as we've seen in years past. And that could just be me, and maybe other people saw all the usual stuff, but I didn't see as much, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that I think COVID's over. I don't think that necessarily affected anything, but I think that between gas prices just inflation in general, prices at the grocery store. I can testify personally, I actually literally just got back from the grocery store before we're getting ready to sit down and do this. And I'm just going to go without eating this week, if that tells you what I saw on the shelves, between empty shelves and high prices. I think that combination, my guess is that way less people traveled on Memorial Day weekend to visit family, have cookouts, do that type of thing than in years past. That's my prediction. Yeah, and I guess that if I still had cable, then maybe the television would be telling me that. I do do my dutiful round of mainstream news sites, ABC, CBS, CNN, mm -hmm. NBC, Fox News. And I was paying attention since the war in Ukraine started 
there was a solid two months where above the fold, as they say, there was no news on anything else. There was no yep. news, at least on their websites. I can't tell you if their television broadcasts were a little more diverse, but nothing mm -hmm. besides Ukraine. And then one day, and there's no yep. Ukraine above the fold. Now you can go scroll down and you'll find it, or you Google Ukraine and you'll find plenty of articles. But it's kind of funny, isn't it, how they just decide what they want us to care about? and how much it works. That's what really gets to me. Well, you know, I remember telling people, I mean, way, 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 way back, just when the hostilities kicked off, that the moment that Russia decided to invade, they won the war. Like, let's, let's be real. Ukraine has no chance in the world of stopping Russia from claiming the Donbass, whatever territories they want to. And so I think the explanation for your observation is kind of twofold. One, I think that... Is as evil as the corporate press is, they're not stupid. And I think that they kind of have their hand on the pulse of what people are willing to digest versus when they get fatigue of a topic and they look for something else. So with recent unfortunate events, everybody who owns a gun is now evil again. So since guns are evil again, Ukraine just doesn't exist anymore. And I think the other explanation for that, alluding to my earlier comment, is you're going to hear very soon either Zelensky is no longer president of Ukraine or they're going to acquiesce and they're going to go to the table and it's going to wind up because there was this huge split where I remember reading just maybe just a couple of weeks ago that Ukraine was saying this war only ends when Russia retreats, we keep all of our territorial sovereignty and Russia gives up the Crimea forever. And I just laughed when I saw that headline. I was like, this guy is saying this to a world power next door to him when he has absolutely no hope in the world. So what's going to happen is the opposite's going to be true. Russia's winning the war handily. You can ignore all the mainstream news. They're just lying to your face. Russia won this thing the moment they stepped foot in Ukraine. They're going to keep Crimea, and they're also going to take over the Donbass. At a bare minimum, they're going to leave it up to a democratic vote of the people in that region are going to vote whether or not they want to secede. And, and we already know how that's going to go, by the way. As soon as the powers that be accept that that is the uh, eventuality, then the war will end and the, the lines will be redrawn and, and that's that. So I think because that eventuality is getting very close to being undeniable, that's why Ukraine has quietly left center stage. And what's going to happen, Tom, is you're going to read on page 17D a month from now <laughs> that that's exactly what happened in the war. It'll be like the war never happened. That's what's going to take place. And the thing that bothers me is, yeah, I think you're right. Everything you just said, and probably on their motivations, but the extent to which people will let them get away with this is just maddening. Now, I know there is a significant minority that doesn't, but I guess if you're still paying your cable bill, then you're to extent letting them get away with it. Two things about what you said, though. Number one, I was surprised when Putin invaded, probably because contrary to the previous mainstream narrative, he showed so much restraint in the past 15 years before that. I mean, what he did in Syria to avoid a war there, even though they eventually invaded and fought with the, the so-called moderate rebels, but to avoid a, a war with the major powers and get Assad to give up his chemical weapons, the fact that he did the least possible with 
Crimea. To me, that was the story with Putin was restraint. And I guess even with this war, I was surprised that he even marched towards Kiev. I was expecting once he did invade and surprised me there that it would be restricted to the Donbass. And that looks like what it's going to be in the end is he's going to have now that whole southeastern region. He'll mm-hmm. have cut off the whole Sea of Azov. And like you said, he'll have Crimea. I'm just wondering if the economic war ever ends from here. What do you think about that? Well, that's one of the one of the weird things, and you know, and I and I, I know that both of us are, are people that like to follow economics, but I certainly don't have a, gr- a degree in economics. But I, I think a lot of people have been surprised to see because this is the tune that we see played out with every global conflict: is embargoes, economic sanctions, sanction on individual actors that are considered close to the regime, sanctions on particular sectors. I just read the EU is planning on cutting off something like two thirds of imports of Russian energy, which, by the way, all that means is rolling blackouts are coming to Western Europe. That's all that means. They're only hurting Western Europe. They're not hurting anyone else because economic sanctions always just come home. But I think what a lot of people were surprised to see is, do you recall in the news cycle when they first really brought down the hammer in the West that the ruble basically collapsed? But then, I mean, what did it take? Two weeks, three weeks? And then, boom, the ruble's actually performing better against the dollar now than it has in years. It's amazing how quickly that turned around. I don't know enough to explain exactly why that is, other than to say maybe part of Putin's restraint is that he's calculated these types of things. Like, he's not an idiot. He's evil. None of this is to suggest that Vladimir Putin's not an evil man. He absolutely is. But he runs a country. So he might, yes, <laughs> if you get yes. there, you must be at least a little evil. Yes, <laughs> but he's very calculated and he absolutely had to be fully aware what the consequences of his actions would be. He knew that there would be economic sanctions and, and oh, all sure. this stuff. Uh, but he also know what Russia has to offer. They know that they're a huge exporter of energy. They know that they have borderline a monopoly on fertilizer for huge parts of the world. He's not an idiot. They know this. So he knew that he had cards up his sleeve. And I also think, talking about them marching to Kiev, I feel like that if they had thre- invaded or even just in threatened to invade, if Zelensky had caved on day one, then everybody would have called him Chamberlain, right? Even if that analogy is totally not appropriate, that's what right. they would have called him. But if he had caved on day one and said, okay, we're going to allow, again, we're not necessarily, to save face, they could have said, well, we're not going to allow the Donbass to leave per se. We're going to allow them to vote and whatever that referendum is, that's what they'll have, you know, self-determination, which, you know, God forbid we support self-determination, right? If they had allowed that on day one, and if that ultimately had meant that some Ukrainian dissidents would have to leave the Donbass and move west while the region itself declared independence only to, of course, again, let's be real, for them declaring independence mean they become a part of Russia. Like, you know, come on. If that had been decided on day one, then the outcome would have been exactly the same as the outcome we're going to get, except for way less people would have been would have been killed and displaced. And so by that logic, if you agree with my assessment, maybe I'm wrong, but if you agree with my assessment, then every single thing Zelensky, the Azov Battalion, and the West funding and abetting them have done is kill people that didn't have to die. That's all they've done. Yeah, I agree with that. And one other part of the mainstream narrative that I think has disappeared were that the Russians were just indiscriminately waging war against civilians. Mm. Now, the truth of that is, is that the Azov Battalion 
components, at least of the Ukrainian military force were embedding themselves in cities. And I wonder, and I don't know, and this is speculation, if he started marching on Kiev as part of this war on all of Ukraine's military and just said, it's not worth it. We got a city of millions of people. We're going to have to bomb the city to get at the Ukrainian troops because that's where they're hiding behind civilians and just decided, let's take what we really came for, which is the whole industrial southeast of the country and call mm-hmm. it a day. There's all kinds of Russian propaganda. So you can't believe that. Of course, you can't believe anything on NBC or ABC. So it's very hard to figure out exactly what's going on. I'm pretty sure there is a war, though. That's about the most I can yeah. say. I get that, because that's a question I think people in our kind of content sphere get all the time, which is, well, okay, Hotshot, where do you get your information from? And that's a tricky question, isn't it? Because I could be cheeky here and say, well, you should just listen to Tom Mullen talks freedom or it's too late with Alan Mosley, right? But where do we get our information to report? And the answer is you, you just sort of have to take everything with a grain of salt and, and come to your own conclusions. There's there's no other easier way to put it. I will say this, the concept that Russian forces were taking babies out of incubators, as they say, and the concept that Ukrainian forces were firing upon their own people trying to flee the front lines. Those are, at best, at best, equally credible. And so if we're just going to call it, like, and, and again, I'm trying to be really generous here to the West, quite frankly. If we're just going to call that evensies and throw that out, then we'll just have to rely on what we knew going in, which was all of Europe consistently voted Ukraine as the most corrupt European nation by far. And those are the people that have been receiving arms and money with absolutely no uh, accountability whatsoever for the last few months. So I'll just, I'll leave that at that. And again, people can draw their own conclusions. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, It helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical to crazy in the head. Well, we can at least take solace that a good chunk of those tens of billions went to good old American companies like Raytheon and Lockheed. <laughs> so all is not I, lost. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where this is kind of one of those black-pilled uh, libertarian conversations you would have sometime, which is if you knew that the government was going to write like a $50 billion check for some boondoggle or another, would you rather them have done what they did, which is write the money to gather up the arms, send it to Ukraine? 
scene and God only knows what happened next, probably a bunch of people die? Or would you rather them have literally just written a $50 billion check and handed it to the CEO of Raytheon? I would want neither, of course. But if I had to choose, they might as well have just handed the cash to Raytheon and called it a day. At least more people would be alive. Right. What about that bridge to nowhere? That's sounding pretty good right now, you know, relatively yeah. speaking. So. Yeah, exactly. So we had all this Ukraine. Then one day it stopped. And the shooting by the Nazi here in Buffalo, there was a lot of coverage of that. It was front and center. Mm -hmm. And then it was superseded by this shooting in Texas. And it almost seems like the shooting in Buffalo is something you'd run longer with. But I did an episode after the shooting here in Buffalo and, oh, look, the media narrative has changed. It used to be if there's a mass shooting, you attack the Second Amendment. Well, since this guy was like a white supremacist or white nationalist or whatever he was mm -hmm. and had a manifesto and all that, we're going to attack the First Amendment. And that's really all the coverage was people being able to express these ideas online and, you know, more regulation of Facebook and social media. And then we get the second one and we're back to attacking the second amendment as we normally expect. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of interesting, like depending on who does the shooting, you've got a different program. And I guess maybe it's like, well, we can't run them both. So we got to decide, yeah. right? You know, I, I try really hard to not be a, a complete crackpot conspiratorial nutcase. I try hard not to be. I am, but I try hard not to be. And and I'm always reminded there was a great quote by everyone's favorite congressman, Ron Paul, because they used to play, you know how they were back in the election cycles. They used to play gotcha games with him all the time because they just wanted to embarrass this guy that had a following that wasn't simply bought and paid for. And they used to try to play gotcha games with him about conspiracies. They would say, you know, well, what do you think about this segment of your following that believes these conspiracy theories? What, what does that say about you and your campaign? And But he always had a great answer, and his answer was, instead of commenting on any particular conspiracy, he would just say, well, when you look at how incredibly non-transparent the government is, and when you look at their actual verified recorded history of schemes and atrocities, then it's no wonder that they invite conspiracy theorists, because we can't trust anything they say. There may be something that, ha you know, the next mass shooting that takes place, it may be an open and shut case that we can all believe. But if CNN reports it that way, do you automatically trust it? It's hard to, isn't it? It really is. So my reflection on kind of these back-to-back -back little incidents was I definitely see the correlation that you're drawing there on sort of what the narrative is. But I also think part of it is it's just it bleeds, it leads. And as soon as one new event takes place, this time involving children, right, involving little school children, that was just the more heart-wrenching tale. And so they shoved it to the front, and now the Buffalo shooting didn't happen. It's just like that. And maybe I'm being facetious, you know, like maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on our friends in the corporate press, that at the end of the day, if that is the biggest news story, then it's not that the Buffalo shooting didn't happen. It's just the world keeps turning, right? So we can't stay on this story forever when there's more stories piling up waiting to be talked about. So I, again, I, I guess I'm just in a good mood today, Tom. I'm giving everybody enormous benefits of the doubt so far in, in this chat we're having. Yeah, you're just um, Mr. Sunshine. What happened? <laughs> I, God, I know. Actually, I'll tell you what it is. It's because with the event this weekend, we're not doing a full show on Wednesday. I don't know what to do with myself right now. But I will say this. I think, again, going back to I'm trying really hard not to be conspiratorial. I think that as election cycles go, most people can surmise that I, I don't really like the phrases red wave or blue wave, but 
I think the Democrats aren't going to exactly do very well in this upcoming midterm election cycle. And I think they're willing to just about throw anything on the wall to see if it sticks because they have next to nothing to run on at this point. They played Orange Man bad out as far as they could, and that's kind of done with now, and they're getting killed in the polls nationwide. So I'm not saying that things like this are orchestrated, but I'm saying that there's absolutely will be a concerted effort to make sure that issues like this are fresh in their base's mind some months from now, because if not, what is going to be on their basis mind a few months? I mean, the only other thing that's going to be on anyone's mind is I can't afford groceries or gas. Right. God forbid people start thinking about that instead of some country 6,000 miles away. No, yeah. and I agree. I didn't mean to imply that these things are orchestrated either. I think they're very explainable as far as, okay, we just locked everybody up for two years. We've mm -hmm. got this nonstop media thing with racial issues going. So of course, if you you've got a mentally ill person and that's his thing, then he can go on the news every day and say, see, see, I told you they're all against me. And as far as the thing with the children, so I don't know if they have to conspire. I think that there's such a uniformity of worldview mm -hmm. amongst the people who populate journalism that they just can't conceive of anything. You know, one of these school shootings occurs and immediately you hear, when is Congress going to do something? Like, number one, they can't conceive of anything other than we need to try and eliminate guns completely from society, you know, like we did with drugs. That, first of all, that's going to work. And number two, that that's the only thing you could possibly do in response to this. I don't know that they have to all get together and plan that. I think that's just their natural reaction at this point. And I was going to add that with the Buffalo shooting, you had said that you sort of saw more ire directed towards free speech you know, online platforming and misinformation. That happened in the same news cycle as the whole Ministry of Truth and the crazy white lady that was going to run it. Do you remember that? I remember wasn't that, putting the, the two together, but you're, I think you're right. I don't time. remember that lady's name, and you know what? It's better that we all forget. But I think that since that was in the same news cycle, that's their way. It's it's like, you know, we, we, we have the turn of phrase, you can't write this stuff. Well, you know what? I think you can. <laughs> I think you actually can write this stuff. And that's their way of sort of like combining different issues into one huge narrative during that that cycle. Well, let's talk about something positive, for real, for real. So you've got a big event coming up. Is it this weekend, June 4th? Is that here already? Saturday. I can't believe it. It's finally here. So every year, starting with episode 50 of the old show back in the day, every year we did a live taping of the show where we would bring in a studio audience everyone could hang out have some refreshments we would do a live taping of the show and so we did first second third annual which coincided with episodes 50 100 and 150 this year and those always happened in march because that was just when a 50th episode would happen this year we decided we would do things a little bit different we would move it to a little bit later in the year be nicer weather i mean down here it's going to be hot and humid but you know at least it's shortened t-shirt weather as opposed to you know jackets and that sort of thing and we would make it more like a reunion. We'd make it a cookout. Everyone could come in, visit, hang out, have some banana pudding and barbecue, that kind of stuff. And then that evening after the sunset, we would do a show. So the fourth annual It's Too Late live show is Saturday, June 4th here at a private venue in Bon Aqua, Tennessee. We've got an Eventbrite link for us, so people got to get their tickets because this is basically my one big fundraiser of the year for all my production costs and everything. But yeah, we had made the decisions on when and where and all that stuff all the way back like January 1st. 
And, of course, back then I thought, ah, I got plenty of time. Now I suddenly find myself needing to write the monologue and practice up my music and all that stuff. I'm actually going to play a little to cap off the show, believe it or not. So, yeah, it's going to be at a private venue in Bon Aqua, Tennessee. It's just south of Nashville on Saturday. We're going to have great food, tons of camaraderie with like-minded Liberty folks from all around the country. And I really can't stress to people enough, like, you know, let's all be honest with each other. No one's coming to see me or the show. Everyone's coming to see each other. Because I think in current year, we have this unique sort of Liberty community online. Again, kind of to cite Ron Paul, you know, he used to give a speech uh, talking about finding the remnant. And that's who we are. And there may not be many of us, but thankfully to modern technology, we can still have relationships with one another in all different corners of the country. So Tennessee maybe is a somewhat centralized location for some folks. Everyone can fly into Nashville and come down to the event and sort of kind of get a dose of what a Liberty community would look like, could look like, if we could swing it, if we could put it together. So, you know, at the end of the day, we love doing the show. We love everyone who supports the show. But really, I'm genuinely treating it as a big family reunion. And I will say that I've seen the broadcasts of the previous live events, and they're great entertainment. Even if you're not a libertarian, whatever you are, if you miss good late night TV, you should tune into It's Too Late with Alan Mosley every week. Any special musical guests besides yourself? This year, it's me. I'm the musical guest. So the last two years, we had a band come in, a different band each year. This year, it's me. Next year, there's going to be uh, another band coming in, because God help me, we're already talking about next year. So that's it for the music for this year. But we do have a special guest who's going to be joining us for the viewer mail segment that we do each week. And we also have our mutual friend, Mike Meharry, one of my best friends of the world. He has been the guest at every single live show we've done every year, and I had talked to him just very recently and said, you know, Mike, you've been our guest every single one we've done, and he immediately replied back, well, we can't really break that tradition now, can we? <laughs> so Meharry's going to be my guest live and in person, and of course the energy, you know, the energy of doing it. You're a musician, you know, just the energy of having the crowd there and being a part of the whole production. They're not just there to see, they're taking part in it. And so it's just a totally different kind of show. But I will say thank you so much for saying that it's good late night entertainment because goodness knows we don't have that on TV. And to really drive that point home, I've been more and more going out of my way to try to make the show something that larger audiences can enjoy. We don't even brand it as libertarian or anarchist necessarily. We just do a show. But the live show is really that turned up to an 11. We do have some friends and supporters that are coming who themselves have bought extra tickets to bring a friend. Normies, if you will. And maybe some of them won't totally understand why we want to legalize recreational heroin or not. So the live show is a lot more of a fun show that is as close to friend and family friendly as we can possibly make it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the broadcast. I got your YouTube channel up, so anybody who has never seen It's Too Late with Alan Mosley, you can get it on YouTube. Your home is on Odyssey or YouTube, or which one is the main channel? Really all of them. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of those, if you go to Alan Mosley TV, you're going to find us. And then Odyssey, Anchor on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. All of those is Alan Mosley TV, so make it really easy on you. And most recently, we've been doing some streaming of the show itself and our community streams, as well as playing some games every now and then on Twitch. 
and it's uh, twitch.tv slash Alan underscore Mosley. And that's an interesting platform. That's a platform that I think most people are probably thinking that's reserved for the kiddos that are speedrunning video games. But we stream over there too, and surprisingly, we haven't been banned yet. That's that's probably the real story there. <laughs> yeah, I saw that you just had Jason Rink on, yeah. another old friend from the Ron Paul Revolution, and your channel's still up, so maybe uh, these are some green shoots. So listen, good luck with your event on the weekend, and we'll link to the Eventbrite and your channel, and hopefully you can stop back again soon. Yeah, I can't wait. You'll be one of the first people that I send a link to when we have the tape edited. Sounds good. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.